Welcome to Stress-Free IEP. You do not need to do it all alone. With your host, Frances Schefter, Principal of Schefter Law. She streams the show live on Facebook on the last Tuesday of every month at noon Eastern. Get more details and catch prior episodes at www.schefterlaw.com. The Stress-Free IEP video podcast is also posted on YouTube and LinkedIn. And you can listen to episodes through Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and more. Now, here's the host of Stress-Free IEP, Francis Schefter. Hello, everyone, and welcome to our show. I am so excited about our guest today. Um, I've known Cami for several years, and she does a special type of therapy that I don't know much about. So I'm excited to learn more and to teach you all more about it. So Cami, please introduce yourself. Hi, how are you? Thanks so much for having me here. Yeah, my name is Cami, and uh, I'm a licensed clinical social worker. Um, and also a registered yoga teacher and a certified EMDR therapist. So today I'm going to be talking a little bit about EMDR therapy. Right. So what is EMDR therapy? What does it stand for? What, what does it do? <laughs> yes. Yeah. Great. Um, so yeah, there's so much to say about EMDR therapy. I love it. Uh, I've been doing EMDR therapy for several years. Uh, it stands for eye movement desensitization reprocessing. So eye movement, desensitization, reprocessing. Okay, so what it means is um, what we're going to look for is we're looking for um, bilateral stimulation, okay, which is the left and the right brain, uh, the hemispheres of the brain, the left brain, the left hemisphere, right hemisphere. All right, we're, and the goal is what's called hemispheric integration, right, having the left brain and the right brain work together in an integrated fashion, right? Oftentimes when we're in a state of stress or we've experienced any trauma, we're just in a time in our life or a place in our life where we're just really stuck. We often will function in just one of the hemispheres of the brain, right? So um, the bilateral stimulation allows for integration for the two hemispheres to work together. Okay, which is what the, a healthy brain, what we really want to be able to do so we can just access the full um, intended use of our brain and all of the wonderful functions of our brain. Um, now, bilateral stimulation, also called BLS for short, is anything, any kind of movement or motion that allows for left, right in a rhythmic pattern. So whenever EMDR was being researched, it's a very heavily researched evidence-based therapy that's been around for many decades. Um, it started with eye movements, right? So following either some technology that was going back and forth, back and forth, or just your therapist's fingers that are moving back and forth in front of you. Your eyes would move back and forth. That's where it first started in terms of research. Um, but then it, it, ha it has evolved greatly um, and adapted to many, many, many different types of settings um, and different preferences that people might have. Some people like to close their eyes in therapy, so you can keep your eyes closed and still experience BLS. Um, and how we do that is we could do either um, hold on onto buzzers and have a buzzing back and forth, back and forth, back and forth. We could do self taps where you're tapping on yourself. Or if you want, your therapist could tap on your tap on your knees, maybe. 
or you could tap your feet back and forth. Um, there are some natural forms of bilateral stimulation that we all do in our day to day, like walking, right? Like meditative walking, right? We're in a, in that left, right, left, right rhythmic pattern. Right. So many people I remember pregnant. that. So when I was a runner, that was like I used to say I would hit that zone. And that's probably what it was because it's just that's what it was. Then. <laughs> that's what it was. Exactly. That's what it was. And so that back and forth, what it does, especially if you're running and you're moving fast, right, or you're doing a walking meditation, which is a very, very um you know, ancient practice, right? It's an ancient practice to, to uh, do walking meditation, walking uh, mindfulness practices. Um, what you're doing there is you're allowing your hem the hemispheres of your brain to integrate. And so what happens there is people feel like more relaxed, like you said, like more Zen, or they might think about something a little bit differently. Different insights come to people, um, you know, when they're in that state. Um, the other thing that, that some other natural forms of, of bilateral stimulation is uh, swimming is another one uh, dr and drumming back and forth, back and forth. Drumming can be a type of bilateral stimulation and many different types of dance and different types of movement, yoga, things like this. This, this can all induce that same bilateral stimulation. So it's therapy, though. So it's bilateral stimulation. Mm -hmm. And what I'm hearing, like from my running days and what I'm hearing is when you're doing it, it hits your Zen. So yeah. how does this work? Yeah. Like, can it treat people yeah. in the long term? Yeah. So what we do then is we start off with the eye movements, right? The EMDRs, the EM is the eye movement, right? So it could be eye movements. It could be other forms of bilateral stimulation. Okay. But then the, the way that it becomes therapeutic is that it's, uh, we then look, focus on the DR, right? So the desensitization and the reprocessing. Okay. So desensitization, meaning on a scale of zero to 10, how reactive are you to this experience, right? So oftentimes in therapy, there, people will come into therapy or call a therapist for a specific reason, right? And it could be some problem solving. It could be just working on some coping skills. It could be a family stressor or things like that. It could be in, in your, for your, the, the case of your, your work, it could be that your child is struggling or that you are struggling, which is navigating parenting or navigating the education system or how do advocating for your child's needs? Um, whatever it might be, you call a therapist typically. If, with some presenting problem, right? So at that point, we're gonna be looking at what is this, what is this that you wanna work on, right? And what does this mean to you? We'll do a lot of, a lot of like history taking in the beginning. We'll be looking at, um, you know, tell me more about you as the parents, tell me about your history, right? What does this mean to you? You have a child that might have unmet learning needs or unmet needs or just something is going on at home. And what does this mean to you? Tell me about yourself. Tell me about your experience, your own, you know, childhood, your own belief system, things like that. And then I'll be doing some digging around and kind of thinking about kind of what are we going to target here, right? And looking at that. So in terms of the desensitization, we're going to be looking at how reactive are you? Like, what does this mean to you? How stress, stressful is this to you, right? So scale of zero to 10, you know, let's say like my child, you know, navigating, um, having a, a learning difference, um, or a behavior issue or a, um, some sort of unmet need or a health condition that's really stressful. 
Absolutely, right? So scale of zero to 10, I'm at a nine on a regular basis, right? And I can't fall asleep at night. I, you know, I can't get along with with my, my partner. I scream at my child more than I would like to, things like that. Um, you know, I can't stop thinking about this, so on and so forth, right? Um, we'll be looking at that. So that's your reactivity, right? Okay. That's that part of the brain that is telling you there's a problem. There's a threat. There's a problem. This is not good, right? Is so that we'll be when looking- you go into the like flight or fright? Yes, fight, exactly. Fight or flight. Fight, yeah. Yep, the fight. Yep, the fight mode, right? I got to fight, protect my child, right? Uh, flight. I just got to get away from this. I don't want to deal with this, right? freeze. I'm just stuck. I just do not know what to do with myself, right? Or or with right. this child, right? Um, there's also other ones called uh, fawn is another one. Fawn is like, you know, people pleasing and let, let me let me put everyone else's needs ahead of my own. That's a coping mechanism, right? For stress, right? right? Let me just make sure everyone else is okay. Then I'll be okay, right? Um, other ones like denial, avoidance, and another one called dissociation, where you just don't feel like you're physically present in your body. Got it. So mm-hmm. is it kind of like, because I know a little bit about tapping, is it kind of like tapping yeah. that when you do the EMDR, you're focused mm-hmm. on that one trigger? Yep. Yeah. So what we'll do is we'll we'll go through, there's eight phases in EMDRs, like standard protocol EMDR, there's going to be eight phases. So we start off with just getting a really, really good history. And then you start focusing on targets. What do you want to, what do you want to target? Right. I get it that there's all these stressors. Right. Oftentimes when you come to therapy, you have a laundry list of different things, you know, that that are hard for you um, and are bothering you. But let's really kind of narrow it down. OK, narrow it down to a target. And the, what I'm looking for there is is a belief system. Right. A belief. What do I believe here? What is my cognition? Right. And oftentimes it will be what I call a maladaptive cognition. Sometimes we use the word negative doesn't mean that it's actually negative. It could mean that it's just not helping you anymore. It could be that it was a very important belief for in cognition for you to hold on to in your growing up years. If you were in a survival mode, a fight or flight mode in your own life experience. Um, And, but what we're looking at there is um, the cognition. What do I believe to be true? Right. So let's say it's someone that, you know, uh, one of your clients that might be, you know, navigating an IEP and, you know, taking care of their child who might have special needs or health condition. Right. What do I believe to be true right now? What is the cognition that I hold on to? Okay. Um, And in that, what we're looking at when we talk about an EMDR, we, we often talk about memories, right? In the memory network, there is there are cognitions, right? That's part of our memory network. There's also going to be emotion in that. There's going to be sensation, like physical sensation. When I go to this place, okay, my heart starts racing or becomes harder to breathe or I can't fall asleep at night, right? Or so on and so forth. They're just different sensations or I feel a lot of tension, muscle tension in in my body, right? So we're going to look a little bit at the sensations and what happens in the body. Um, we're also going to be looking at, are there any images here? What comes up whenever you go into this, this cognition, right? What comes up in terms of the imagery, 
right? And so for um, for a standard you know EMDR session, we'll be looking at that. We'll look at the cognition. We'll look at the sensation, the emotion, and the imagery that comes up. And then I'll ask you while doing the BLS, right? While doing the either the eye movements. Um, which can be done virtually now, by the way, with technology has helped us in the pandemic. The one plus yeah. of the pandemic yeah. is we all learned how to go virtual. Yeah, exactly. And it became more accessible, really, to people yeah. who otherwise weren't um, um, able to access therapy. They, they were able to have a session during their lunch break where they otherwise wouldn't have been able to, um, you know, go in for a session. Um so we'll be doing the virtual, you know, eye movements, and then I'll be asking you to hold on to that, that cognition, right? You're look, you're watching it like it's a movie, the cognition and that imagery and noticing any emotion and sensation. So what I'll do then is I'll stop every, about every, um, you know, 15 to 20 seconds, we'll be stopping, taking an inhale and an exhale and just kind of noticing what's coming up. So oftentimes what comes up is people be, first start off by getting very, well, people first start off saying, this is really weird. <laughs> this is really strange. And I don't understand what's going on. <laughs> but, um, but then we start going into the body and then we start, the body starts to release a little bit, starts to relax a little bit. Right. Some people, depending on their trauma and depending on, you know, their their own experiences with anxiety and their body, they might start to feel like a lot of sensation or they might start to feel a lot of emotion or they are just crying. A lot of people just feel really sleepy. The eye movements, which are similar to the eye movements whenever we're in the REM cycle of our sleep, right, where we're processing. Right. So they might begin to just feel sleepy and yawn. And that's all good stuff. That's all good stuff. It means the brain is is doing what it's supposed to do. Right. The severe EMDR is a really natural form of the brain healing. Right. There are natural forms of healing and EMDR is natural. Right. There's no um, we're not doing anything that uh, your brain doesn't already do when it's sleeping. Got it. So yeah. I'm going to take this a little a little different direction because I don't know if you know that I'm a foster parent. Um, no, yeah, we're a foster family now, and I do a lot of work in DC foster system oh, okay. for foster parents Great. in Maryland. Great. And yeah. when you say trauma, yeah, I yeah. mean these foster kids are what jump yeah. into my mind. And mm -hmm. so, you know, the couple of questions are: How old? And does yeah. the child actually have to remember? Yeah, that's a what great, happened. Yeah, that's a great question. So how how young can a child be? When I was trained in EMDR, the person that trained me did bilateral stimulation on as young as three years old. Wow. Okay. And it's gonna, of course, look very different. The great thing about EMDR is that can it be it can be really adapted to different age groups and to different needs. And it can also be adapted to different um in different cultural backgrounds, um, to people who maybe um you know who might have had difficulty accessing talk therapy right? Talk therapy is very different and it uses a different part of the brain, right? It uses more of those cognitions. So uh, EMDR can be used with children as very young. You want a, a very specially trained um, EMDR therapist though that feels comfortable uh, working with children and who has experience. Um, Anna Gomez is a trainer uh, in using EMDR with children. Um, and in terms of, do they have to remember? No, they really don't. And they don't have to talk about it at all. 
And even I, I see that even to adults that I work with, that some adults, you know, they're very hesitant. People are very hesitant to come into therapy. I don't want to do, I don't want to go there. I don't want to open this up. I don't want to talk about every life experience I've ever had. And I say, that's perfectly fine. You don't have to talk about this. You actually don't really have to tell me. A lot of people like to, but you don't have to tell me that many um, details, you know, about what you, what you're processing. Okay. Um, so with a child, yeah, you can do the some some tapping, right? With with the therapist, have the therapist that they're working with, you know, do some bilateral tapping. Um, some things that can be helpful is just doing some um just on their, on their feet, right? Just tapping back and forth on their feet, um, on each foot and doing some drawing, some coloring and some, you know, art, art therapy, play therapy, right? And allowing for the traumas, right? All of the um, emotion and the bodily sensation, right? Allowing that to clear. So with trauma, we always say, you know, the body remembers, right? So it doesn't have to be that the child is able to like cognitively, um, you know, share, you know, verbatim, you know, word for word, what they're going through. It could be that their body's holding the tension, right? right? And then, you know, and then of course comes in kind of how is that, you know, without therapy or without any intervention, like what then is happening to that body, right? If we're holding so much of that trauma, what then is happening to that body? And let's say like to the, um, just the sensations and the tension that they're holding and the nervous system function, right? So we want to give kids like that, that an outlet to release that trauma. And you said there were eight phases. So yeah. like how, like, is that eight sessions or is that, you yeah. know, more sessions? Yeah, that's a good question. Um, there are eight phases, right? So there's eight stages that, that as a therapist, I take a person through in order to consider it like complete, um, you know, some of those phases could go longer than others. Uh, some of them can be very short. Um, it really depends on the person. Now, everybody likes to ask, you know, how many sessions do I really have to be in therapy for? I don't really want to be in therapy for that long. Uh, and I, I, that's a very frequent question. Um, and I totally understand. It's, it's hard work. Um, in, according to research, I'll say this, according to research, and again, EMDR is very heavily researched, um, three to four sessions, oftentimes people feel some relief. Oh, wow. After three to four sessions, people feel some relief. Some people like to continue past that, right? It really does depend because oftentimes what happens is people are not coming into therapy necessarily with a single trauma right? There's often multiple traumas and perhaps even like more complex or developmental, you know, trauma. So with that, that's okay. I, that's not to um, discourage people. But what that means is that we want to be really clear about what we're targeting here. Okay. It may not be, you know, going back to like your, um, your, your podcast listeners, it may not be that it's the IEP you know, sitting in that room with, um, you know, the teachers and the administrators talking people. <laughs> and talking about your child. It could not be that maybe that's what this, the, the real root is, right? We want to look at the root, right? What is the real root here? Okay. Well, could it be that there's something from your childhood, your early childhood, right? You know, sitting in this room with, you know, um, 
you know, as much as, you know, 10 different teachers and administrators, I feel like I can't even breathe. Sometimes I feel like I can't, I can't, you know, contain my tears. I am so scared, you know, for my child. Okay. Well, what is, what is the cognition there? And let's go back. Let's go back. When was the first time you remember feeling that way? When was the um, worst time you felt that way? Right. It's so funny that you say that because it brought me back to my teaching days. And I remember my first couple of years teaching when the principal would call me to her office. <laughs> I would freak out. You know, and, yeah. I mean, I'm a teacher. I'm an adult. <laughs> and, and, and I knew she wasn't going to you know, yell at me or anything, but it was just that memory as a child. Yeah. Yeah. Getting called to the principal office was really bad. <laughs> yeah, exactly. 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 So in an EMDR session, you could work through that, right? Kind of like, what does that feel like in the body? Like you get that, that call that you need, that you're, you know, have to go down to the principal's office. What does that feel like in the body? What are the emotions? And what is that cognition? What does it sound like? Oh my goodness. Did I do something wrong? Am I bad? Right. Did I make a mistake? What, you know, so on and so forth. Right. right. Yeah. That's so crazy. So you were saying like three to four sessions, which I know I get it. You know, it depends yeah. because you want to go deeper yeah. or not. And yeah. I, would you say that is like per issue? So you would have to do each individual issue that you're having? Yeah. So that's a good question. Um, ideally, what we want to do, the, what the therapist needs to really be able to do is to hone in on what is the the, the root of all of these different issues together, right? So you could come into therapy with like, you know, 10 different issues, right? 10 different traumas, you know, the, all these, you know, these, these awful things have happened, right? And all these major stressors in your life. And ideally what we want to look at and start to look at is what is the root cognition there? Oh, and that makes sense. Oftentimes, you know, just, just to give you an example, oftentimes, um, some of the cognitions that um, are really common are things like I'm just I'm just not safe or I'm just I'm just worthless, right? I'm just right. worthless or I'm a failure um, or I'm, I'm not going to survive, right? So we want to look at that. So that could have come up many different times in your life. And, you know, the imagery is going to be there. The memory is going to be there. Yes. But notice that the umbrella, right? That root cause is all the same cognition. That makes sense. And so as the therapist, you help mm. narrow everything down. to Yeah, yeah, yeah. we want to narrow it down. We want to narrow it down and that will help, you know, help you. So through the, pro through the protocol, what happens then is that desensitization, right? We want to bring that reactivity down. So I'm very sensitive, let's say, to this cognition, right? So scale of zero to 10, I go up to a nine every time something happens, right? Every time I think about this, every time my child comes home from school or something like that, right? I go up to a nine, okay? So what we wanna do in this protocol is um, we're breaking that number down, right? We're bringing that number down. So emo our emotions, our sensations, we're not so reactive, right? And then what we wanna do when we do start to bring it down, okay? Is then we wanna look at, well, what would be more helpful to you? If that's a maladaptive cognition, what would be more adaptive? What would help you now in your parenting journey, right? right. In your parenting journey, now, you, you know, you're working with your child and helping them have their needs met, right? What would be more adaptive? What would be more helpful to you, right? So then we want to look at kind of going back and installing that, right? So that's Breaking the cycle. Mm -hmm. right. we Breaking wanna, the cycle. 
Exactly. Right. Like, and reprocessing, reprocessing. Okay. And then we'll do, um, in the protocol, we'll also look at kind of future templates. So it could be that, you know, I have an IEP meeting coming up. And so we might do some sessions on like, kind of, what would you like that meeting, you know, to look like, like, what do you need in your body, in your emotions and your sensations, right. In your cognitions, what do you need there? Right. Well, I want to believe that I am a really good mother. I want to believe I'm a really good parent. Um, I want to believe that I ha- I have the support that I need. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Um, wow. And it's, you know, the first thing that comes to mind with that as a parent sitting at an IEP table and stuff is that it's so stressful and it's so emotional. And, mm-hmm. um, you know, I, we joke around in a parent group, you know, people were saying, why is my daughter's IEP meeting so stressful? And I always say, look, I do this for a living. I, you know, help families get through it. That's stress-free IEP. But my own daughter's IEP meeting, it's stressful for me too. Because as a parent, that's where you are. Exactly. It's your, it's, yeah, absolutely. It's personal, right? It feels really personal. Yeah. Um, So when you go into, we keep saying cognition, is that like, is there a, is there like a list of cognitions or is that, can you go a little deeper into that? Yeah, sure. Cognition is a, is a belief, right? It's a belief, right? So we have automatic thoughts, right? That's, I don't know if you're familiar with like cognitive behavioral therapy. So we talk, so in cognitive behavioral therapy, they call it automatic thoughts, right? But when we have these thoughts, they oftentimes have a theme, right? And that's where we want to pay attention. So as a therapist, we're going to, I listen for that, right? I'm listening for what are these thoughts? What does this theme seem to be here, right? So we want to go a little different, into, deeper, I'm sorry. We'll go a little deeper into that of looking at the, the cognitions, the beliefs. What do I believe about myself? What do I believe about my, let's say like my family? What do I believe about my community? What do I believe about the world? Right. So that's part of like our perspective, right? Our worldview, our view of ourself, right? And oftentimes in childhood, um, you know, zero to, to 10 years old or so is when children are developing those beliefs, right? Developing those cognitions about myself, about my family, about my, the collective, about the world around me. So the first thing that came to mind on that is children that were um, brought up in the depression era. Yeah. Like, you know, they thought there's no money, you're going to lose everything. Yes. And so that like, you know, I have to save as much as possible so that. Yeah. Interesting. Absolutely. Right. And so again, like what were they exposed to like the zero to 10 years, right? If that's what they were exposed to. Yeah. That was part of their survival mechanism. And that was, a that was, adaptive for them at that time that helped people survive right at that time what happens though you know right fast forward is it maladaptive and how we know that is is it creating more stress right is it creating more stress or another word is like is it creating symptoms right right symptoms right like like an example like insomnia is it creating insomnia that's a symptom and then it's because that has then become maladaptive right Right. Interesting. That's so, so it's adaptive at that time. Because, yes, exactly. I tell, I tell right. it to my clients all the time that, you know, this served a really important purpose. It, ser- it helped you survive, 
right? Right. It did what it was supposed to do, right? This cognition kept you safe, right? Kept you in that, you know, that ability to cope and survive whatever those circumstances might have been, right? But at this time, is it helping you or is it creating more symptoms? Is it making you, you know, feel unwell? Right. Um, so for parents, like to, not to look back at my audience, I want to give them a little something. So, I mean, I think this is great and people, I hope people will call you, um, but like, do you have some like simple ways to reduce stress mm-hmm. in the home? Because I, I mean, as you know, a parent of young children, it's, it's difficult to begin with the yeah. add on neurodivergent children and it's just overwhelm. And so what can parents do to help bring themselves down when they feel that heightened sensation? Yeah, that's a great, that's a great question. Um, so yeah, simple things, right? Just at home. Um, lo- start looking a little bit at, at some of those cognitions, right? Thinking about kind of what are some of the patterns of my own thinking? What are some, are some of the patterns of what do I believe about myself? What do I believe about my children? What do I believe about our family, about our community, Right about the world around me, start looking at those. It could even be a simple exercise of like writing it down in a journal, right? And then thinking about how can I, is is there something that I wanna work on? Something that I really wanna target, okay? Um, also looking at our kids, right? Yeah. What do I believe about my kid, right? What do I believe right. about my child? How do I notice their strengths, right? How do I listen and pay attention to their needs? right? How do I notice whenever their needs might be coming, becoming overwhelming to me? And what might that mean that I need then, right? So right. some other ways are being able to just get comfortable with, um, you know, being comfortable with making some slight changes and being flexible, like in our, in our thinking, um, being able to reframe and really look for those strengths, right? Like that child who, you know, doesn't sit still in in their class. And if that, if you're getting notes home every day about that, okay, the strength there is, wow, that child must be super athletic. (laughs) I I I know. Um, Right. Or, or that child who, you know, has something to say about everything, right? Okay. That's awesome. You have some great opinions and I really want to hear about those, right? I will really want to hear about those right now. It's not the time, but I want to hear about those opinions. Those looking for strengths in the child. That's such a, that's such a gift you can give to yourself and to the child, right? Uh, Many children with neurodivergence, it's, it's a really tough system to be a neurodivergent child. Um, it's tough. It's tough out there, right? When we kind of, um, there's a lot of um, struggles to get um, kind of standard learning accomplished, but there are tons of strengths of being right. a neurodivergent child and adult in this world. And focus on those, look for those strengths, right? And if you're struggling with that, look ask for some feedback, right? Ask for some feedback to look for those strengths um, and look for things that, um, let's see, um, things that, you know, your child can participate in, right? It may not be the standard thing and it may not be what you believed your parenting journey was going to look like, right? Right. Right. And it's, um, you know, like on IEPs, it's always, I I don't want to say they're negative, but they're always 
their focus, there's present levels that's supposed to say where your child is, but then it goes into the weaknesses, which is where we get the goals. So they can be so, you know, focused on the weaknesses, which I get and I understand because we want to bring the weaknesses up. But I always say, find the child's strength. Yeah. And bring the weaknesses up using that strength. Yes. Yes. Absolutely. Absolutely. So that's super, that child who can't sit still in the class is fine. That's great. Okay. Go for a walk. Let's go for a walk. Let's do something physical. Let's get one of those bouncy balls and bounce, right? Look for their strengths. When you're at home, same thing, right? How many times can you, you know, run up and down the stairs? Okay, great. That's awesome, right? If they're able to do some sports or some activities, even just something in the backyard or something in, in your home, um, just, again, focus on their strengths. And what does that then mean about them, right? Right? What does that mean about them? All right. So I have a, I have a very athletic, you know, older child. And what does that mean then about you? Okay, fine. Yeah, you, okay, you can play this game, right? But what does that mean about you that, that you can stay in the game? You're a good team player, right? You have good communication skills. You can talk to those friends, support them. Um, and persistence, practice, you show up for practice every day, right? You have persistence, that's persistence, right? What else is it about you that, that you can, and, and so we want to foster in the, in children, like uh, that healthy those healthy cognitions, right? I can do hard, I can do hard things. It is okay when I don't have control over everything. I can find things that I can control, right? I, I mean, I would say it's also not minimizing the strength mm-hmm. because I know a lot of people will be like, you know, when somebody would compliment, like, wow, that was a great throw. You've got a great arm, mm-hmm. you know, and the kid will say, oh, you know, it's not a big deal. Mm-hmm. Right. Because it's, you know, that's like minimizing it and realizing, look, you can throw, but, you know, the next 20 people don't have an arm like you. Yeah. Yeah. And you're a leader then. Right. Yep. Exactly. That's, that's wonderful. That's a great thing, yeah. right? And then I have a younger one who who is just super imaginative, right? So again, looking at the like, what does that mean then about you? Right? Okay, that you're curious, that you're bright, right? That you think differently. And that's awesome. You see the world differently. You have a different perspective. And that's beautiful, right? Yeah. And so really look for those strengths. Um, and then same thing with yourself as the parent. Right. What does that mean about you? Right. That you've got to, that you're working with an attorney, you're going to these IEP meetings. What does this mean about you? Right. That you're, that you are dedicated, right. That you are, are, are a loyal and good, good enough parent. Right. And not and I, perfect because that doesn't exist. Right. <laughs> but good enough. Good enough. Right. And that, you know, it's so interesting because a lot of times like our society, takes asking for help as a weakness mm-hmm. and in actuality it's a strength it's, it's knowing strength. It you is know so like strength. i can't do this yeah so i'm gonna hire somebody to help yep. me do that absolutely asking for right. help it is a strength absolutely the another strength is really learning how to say no right again in our society mm-hmm. yep. right in our society we very much want people to you know don't say no keep piling on piling on Actually, it's a strength. Say no. Learn how to say no, and just like they say, no is a complete sentence. You don't have to. I was just gonna say that. You don't have to over-explain, right? All that stuff, that over-explaining, and that you know that stress. That's a stress response, right? Again, that fawn, right? Fight, flight, freeze, fawn, right? I have or to the do guilt. That. Yes, the guilt response of saying no. 
being yes, brought up of like you don't say no and yeah. do you, that becomes a stressor of does it mean something again that cognition does it mean something negative about me right if i'm saying no to things right and so you know as a therapist i would be looking at well why aren't you saying no to more, <laughs> to more <laughs> obligations or saying no, maybe saying no to the children or saying no to um, activities or, or certain work obligations, right? What is the, what is the cognition there? Got it. That's so interesting because yeah, I, I mean, I remember back, if you want to get something done, if you want somebody to do something, ask a busy person because you can tell they don't know how to say no and they're going to do it and they're going to get it done. Exactly. Exactly. So learning how to say no and letting that just be the complete sentence, right? Asking for help, looking at those strengths, reframing, doing some journaling, and then just doing some other types of just, you know, breathing exercises, just things, just, you don't have to sit down for a formal practice, but just um, if you're not able to, but just something like you're, cooking dinner, right? Just noticing, you know, kind of being more mindful. Okay. Turning off the cell phone. Imagine that, right? Just turning it out, like powering off, you know, right? <laughs> powering down. I go into anxiety with that. <laughs> <laughs> powering down for an hour, two hours in the evening, right? Um, right. Just being, or being unavailable or do not disturb, right? Um, noticing, you know, if you're washing the dishes, you know, just notice the temperature of the water, the smell, the, any taste in your mouth, what colors do you see if you're looking out the window, right? Notice, um, you know, um, any of the sounds, things like that. Um, just allowing your, giving your brain that break. To just be present and just to, to be there. just be present and to breathe and to come back into the body Ah, that is like just so amazing because I'm thinking about, oh, when I'm doing dishes, I'm usually listening to podcasts, thinking about all the things I need to do next instead of just being. Just being and just washing the dishes, just feeling the temperature of the water you know, on your hands. And that's it. Same thing if you're cooking something, you know, just smelling the flavors, right? And just smelling it. And then that's it, right? And then later listening to your podcast or later, you know, doing the to-do list. Right. Right. But being able to give your brain and body that small break. Yeah, that is so wonderful. Ah, uh, I could talk to you all day about this. It's so amazing. <laughs> um, so how can people get in touch with you? Like if people want to learn more about um, EMDR or want to make an appointment with you, you know, how can people do that? Oh, yeah, great. Um, yeah, I have a website, so I can share the website with you. And so people can reach out to me. Um, and I'm also really um, a big advocate of just finding the right match. So even if I'm not the right match for someone, you know, I have a, a really big network of other therapists. And so I love, you know, finding good matches for people. And, you know, can, I can send you um, other names and help you just find. And if it's not EMDR you're looking for, if you're looking for talk therapy or another type of brain-based or body-based therapy, those are, those are great. Um, there are a lot of therapists in this, in this area. And there's a lot of, uh, there's a lot of help available for people who are ready and, and able to access that help. I love that you say find the right match because yeah. I know like for me, it's why did they choose that person over me? And it's like, there's nothing wrong with me. It's just the other person was yeah. a better match. Exactly. Or, exactly. Yeah. Find that right yeah. match. It's going to be so helpful. 
to the to to the client you know to have that good match to again like looking at that can i trust that person do i feel safe with that person do i feel heard by that person right that is so yeah. wonderful this is so amazing we are going to put your um your link, your contact information will be in the show notes. Um, on, if you're listening to this on a podcast, if you enjoyed listening to Cami and want to know when we have more shows, make sure you follow me on Instagram, Twitter, LinkedIn, uh, Facebook, and YouTube. Subscribe to any of those channels so that you get notified when we get more, when we have more videos and more live. And also, if you know of somebody that you think would be a great guest on my show, I'm always looking to meet new people. And please go ahead, put it in a comment, shoot me an email. I would love to hear from you. You've been listening to Stress-Free IEP with your host, Francis Schefter. Remember, you do not need to do it all alone. You can reach Francis through SchefterLaw.com, where prior episodes are also posted. Thank you for your positive reviews, comments, and sharing the show with others through YouTube, LinkedIn, Apple Podcasts, Spotify, Google Podcasts, Stitcher, and more.